After a year of missing live music, Drumcore International has introduced the DCI Celebration Tour for 2021, with Drumcore's designing performances that celebrate the past, present, and importantly, the future of this unique activity. But while events may not have been live in 2020, cores were busy evaluating, planning and providing unique online experiences for their members and for fans around the world. On this episode, I'll be exploring how 2020 has impacted the activity, how it moved online, and how the ingenuity and talent of this community will ensure that members and fans will have a spectacular show to look forward to in 2021 and beyond. The episode you're about to hear was originally intended to be the final episode of season one of Finding Drum Corps, which ended in August of 2020. Throughout that season, we had explored many aspects of the activity, but I had purposely left one very important topic to cover later. How was 2020 impacting the cores? And importantly, what was next? We didn't feel like we were in a place to answer those questions in August, and so we decided to wait. First until September, then January, then March, and well, finally today. Over those months I've watched DCI and its cores negotiate and manoeuvre a truly existential crisis that threatened everything that we love about the activity. I couldn't be happier to publish this episode today. A sort of reflection on 2020 and the incredible work that has made this upcoming season even possible. Some of these interviews date from last July up to only the past week, but throughout all of the interviews you'll hear stories of resourcefulness, creative thinking and a deep passion to ensure the survival of the activity and these cores. I couldn't include all of the innovative projects that have taken place over the last year, but I hope that the stories featured are a reflection on how people around the drum corps world have come together and made what seemed like the impossible possible. This is Finding Drum Corps. I traveled out to visit uh, the Pacific Crest and the uh, Gold Drum Corps at their respective uh, brass camps. And it was starting to become something at that point in time because I was hearing about it as, you know, travel is becoming something that people are thinking about. Like most people, COVID-19 was kind of in our consciousness early in 2020. Of course, you'd see news reports about it, um, but it was it was distant. It wasn't necessarily in the U.S. yet, um, as far as we knew, and it didn't affect us until mid-March. And of course, at that point, news broke that it was in the United States, and very quickly overnight, it started to affect everything we were doing. I've been working with Crossman since February, February of 2019, um, in a full-time role. I, hmm. Fred Morrison didn't, didn't pass along the keys until, um, this past August after our finals. Mm. And so my experience as CEO <laughs> is the pandemic. <laughs> Should there be another brass camp, uh, for any core uh, in March and what are we doing about 
uh, future camps and thinking about that and wondering, gee, I wonder what the cores are thinking about. And of course, we started getting into uh, some weekly phone calls and, and decision making uh, at that point in time, almost immediately, uh, as it really started to flare up in the media, uh, as well as just, you know, what people were dealing with at home, considering having a mass gathering, uh, like a rehearsal or a rehearsal camp and so forth. Uh, there were still a couple of camps that occurred in March, uh, and uh, but all the while the discussion started almost daily uh, that first week of March going on. I remember speaking to one of our vendors uh, at the end of that trip after visiting family, I headed to Dallas uh, and talking to them about, gee, I wonder how it's impacting your business because they get product from China. And uh, from there, it started to become, hearing them describe a couple of things about the supply chain, it really started to hit home to me that this is really going to be something here that's going to impact uh, DCI rather quickly. And, uh, you know, hopefully short term, you know, at that time, we're all hoping it was going to go away in two months, uh, you know, but uh, it, it certainly did not. And the discussions and the seriousness of it just escalated as the the uh in those few short weeks the school shut down pretty much overnight um over a weekend this is bojan hoover executive director at river city rhythm a stay-at-home order was placed and we have a at river city rhythm a winter drumline that operates during the winter winter color guard and they both participate in wgi so those ensembles had been going and rehearsing since november so for those two groups, um, they were in the middle of their season, nearing the end of their season. And for our drum corps, we had just had our, I, I believe, our fourth winter camp. We're in a survival mode, you know, we're in hibernation right. mode. We're, we're, we're trying to be creative. Um, we, we were prepping for the spring training. We were prepping for a tour. We had our whole staff, uh, administrative and instructional was figured out. We, we, we were rolling along. And then, you know, March, March, um, it was my birthday. I remember it was on my birthday. Natalie Steele, Chief Executive Officer at Crossman Productions. March 23rd, when we, uh, mm. behind the scenes, found out that um, Drum Corps International was going to be changed um, from that day forward. And then that next day on Wednesday, we, we had a meeting to talk about it. And we voted um, that it was in everybody's best interest that tour does not happen. And so that's kind of, um, you know, I've been working <laughs> seven days a week almost. I try to plug, uh, unplug here and there, uh, but it's really difficult because, you know, there's, um, there's so much to do. And you would think without tour, there's not much to do, but more than ever, there's so much to do to mm. make sure that um, we're a viable uh, entity and, and right. everything. So, you know, uh, like many other organizations, we, we, we didn't expect this. We weren't prepared for it. Um, mm -hmm. But with the incredible help of the Crossman administration, Fred and Maureen, and the board of directors, um, we, it, we are looking um, better and better. Uh, things are looking a little bit more positive. There's always a silver lining. And uh, definitely wouldn't be able to do it without the support of, of that, our tight-knit community, you know. Um, our alumni are substantial. I've really gotten to know our alumni because of the pandemic, which uh, as a fellow alumni, um, I'm honored to serve them and to serve um, this organization. 
because it means so much to me. It's my world. And Mm -hmm. um, so they've really stepped up. They were incredible. We kind of set the bar for online fundraising for all of Drum Corps. Um, We did incredible. We raised over um, $85,000 in four hours. (laughs) And then on on top of that, our alumni um, have been supporting us. So we add to it their $25,000 that they've been um, raising over the past um, a couple of months. We were over $100,000 in fundraising efforts and and just since March, you know. So, um, it's really hard to tell you what CEO looks like, um, <laughs> right now because well, I was, unfortunately my next question was going to be, what's the most rewarding part of the role, but I, <laughs> I, I fear that you haven't actually had the opportunity to, to get to that part. Yeah. Yet. You know, um, I, I look forward to the day where, um, this job is a little less reactive and a little bit more proactive, you know? Mm. Um, and it's, we're doing a lot of really great things. We're starting uh, committees about diversity, inclusion, and equity. Uh, we're in the very, it's, it, we're in the infancy uh, stage of that, but uh, we're, we're starting these new ideas and concepts and practices um, across the board to protect our members, to protect our employees, uh, and to create a, a better experience for every single person who walks through our door. And so that's that's kind of just my goal right now is to really understand uh, what we do and why we do it, but to also um, bolster or implement um, new practices, new policies and procedures um, uh, while we have the time. It, it's, I, it's, right. I, don't, I don't know if it's... Um, reasonable to say that it's quiet right now but in in a sense we are in a place where it's quiet enough for us to um, have these hard conversations and um, do put a lot of hard work into um, being a little bit more proactive with um, those kinds of um, really important topics. By March it was becoming increasingly clear that action needed to be taken by both DCI and the course. A monumental decision needed to be taken, and quickly. Yeah, it was almost immediate, right? Because there were cores that had already been talking about the impact it could have on their safety, the safety of their members as it relates to their camps. Uh, and should they have a camp? And shouldn't they have a camp? And, you know, those types of things. And uh, it was, you know, again, it, the conversation escalated rather quickly into, for me, it was daily uh, uh, you know, multiple phone calls and then, uh, went quickly into, uh, weekly, uh, uh, calls with all the drum cores that are member cores, the, the 22 world-class cores for DCI to talk about what does all this mean? What are we trying to do here? What are we thinking about? Uh, and then, uh, uh, there were a couple of, uh, member organizations that were contemplating, you know, not coming on tour and asking us to consider that. And uh, we even wrestled with, can we make this decision later? Can we make it later than when we did make it? And we discussed that as well, because we wanted to see what would happen. You know, in retrospect, we made the right call at the right time, of course. Mm. Had we waited two more weeks, not sure it would have mattered one way or the other, uh, but it mattered to some. And there's always been a huge respect for each other in the room that they're all different and different things uh, cause them to make decisions. 
uh, that are in the best interest of their own organization. So everybody was trying to be respectful of that in the process. So yeah, it ramped up rather quickly and got serious about really considering whether we should shut down the season or not. And uh, the the points that were being made, the cores, uh, their their you know executives talking to their boards of directors and so forth. All that information was coming back at our uh, meetings, and then uh, of course the science that was out there and the hope that uh, there was any hope of it, you know, uh, getting back to normal anytime soon, uh, it just became apparent that, yeah, the sooner we made the decision, the sooner the cores had an opportunity to pull back on money they were about to spend to set up the tour. Uh, And DCI was in the same boat in terms of uh, venue deposits and, and those types of things. So when it became pretty clear that we were going to struggle to make any kind of a season work, even a, uh, uh, because I had actually submitted a proposal for a shortened season uh, in that March time frame, and uh, you know which was met favorably, except for the ultimate: how do we make that work? <laughs> not knowing, <laughs> not knowing anything, right? And right. so we we just looked at the uncertainty dead on in the eyes and said you know what, this can't happen. And uh, I, I can't even tell you, I, I got to at least put this in here, how proud I am to be associated with those 22 very smart thinking organizations uh, to make the call that they did as tough as it was mm-hmm. for their respective organizations and certainly tough as DCI an entity uh, trying to stay in business as well. Uh, <clears throat> we obviously made the right decision, but the forethought that they had to make what ended up, of course, being the right decision back on March 25th, when so many organizations were still talking about playing baseball and, you know, all that and continuing their activities. Uh, So it was a tough call, but uh, uh, obviously a a good one uh, with a lot of really hard, fast thinking in the process. So for WGI, they made an announcement Uh, much earlier, and it really caught us off guard, I think partially because the state of Ohio put in some restrictions on gatherings, which forced WGI to cancel their season. So for for our winter programs, we had to decide whether we were going to even meet again. I think all this happened on a Wednesday or a Thursday, and we were to meet on a Saturday. Our color guard was going to host a show and have uh, groups from all over Minnesota and Wisconsin come and participate. The winter drumline was about to do a WGI regional. So within a matter of 24 hours, we had to decide whether we were still going to move forward with those shows and those competitions. Our plans changed probably three times. We met with the ensembles. We talked over some options. We talked about, reached out to the facilities that we had rented um, to see if they would still be available. And so we were originally planning to move forward with hosting a show and performing at the regional. But I think within 12 hours, both of those shows got canceled. And then we decided we were going to put on just a public performance for our friends and family as a kind of a, a farewell to the season. And then the facility, right before we um, were about to do that, the facilities we had rented kind of pulled out and uh, decided not to host us. So at that point, we had to decide whether we were even going to meet one final time. We did. We decided to uh, to meet all of our members and at least collect 
some of the instruments and uniforms and gear from them because we knew we might want to use it in the future. And then we had kind of a farewell banquet. And, you know, for us, we, we talked about with those members that it was really just an intermission and 2019 or 2020 was the, the first act of the play. And we hoped that 2021 would be the second act and to come back and to try to finish what they had started. And, you know, early on in the days, we thought that DCI probably wouldn't have been affected. We'd still have a drum corps season. And um, certainly the, the following winter season would be unaffected. But unfortunately, you know, we're now realizing that's not the case either. So everything moved very quickly. And uh, I think like a lot of people, our plans changed numerous times within a matter of days. Looking back now, it seems that ensembles of every shape and size around the world have learned to produce or at least record themselves for virtual projects. River City Rhythm were quick to launch their project, however, and importantly, they included performers around the world of every type. In fact, I can now say I've played with River City Rhythm right from the comfort of my own home here in Galway, Ireland. We decided actually before COVID hit that we might want to explore a virtual performance in 2020 as an effort to recruit new members, to create awareness of what we were doing. And um, of course, the concept of a virtual performance has been made popular by the American composer Eric Whitaker with his virtual choirs. And so we saw that and thought, well, why don't we do this for band? Why don't we do this for uh, Hornline? We had started to make some plans with our brass arranger, Drew Shanefield, um, where maybe we would actually post a portion of our 2020 show and allow anyone to record it and submit their video. And then we would compile the videos and make a virtual performance. And it would kind of hype up the season, create awareness. Um, and, and we had started to make some plans and then COVID hit. So no longer were we necessarily trying to recruit for the 2020 season, but we still felt like there was something to this idea. And since so many schools were closing around the country, people were losing their, you know, not just their drum corps season or their winter drum line, winter color guard season, they were missing all of their spring concerts, um, potentially summer opportunities as well. And so we thought this could be a really great resource for band directors, for music educators around the world, um, to give their students a chance to perform with everyone and anyone. We wanted to open it up to all instrumentalists, all ages, um, to anyone in the world that might want to connect. And so we, we decided to brand it Distant Harmonies and it's still going on to uh, this day. I think the novelty of virtual performances is kind of worn off. Obviously, a lot of groups are doing it and doing it very, very well. Um, but we're still trying to uh, you know, connect people around the world through music. And that's the point of the project. After an historic cancel season, this year, Drum Corps is back. Staff, volunteers and members have worked incredibly hard over the past 18 months to keep their corps not just alive, but vibrant. We have a great season ahead of us, and I'm proud to be the host of the DCI Fan Experience again in 2021. 
The DCI Fan Experience is brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures and includes great accommodation and show tickets for all three nights in Indianapolis for the finale of the 2021 Celebration Tour from August 12th to 14th. This tour is the best way to experience your time in Indianapolis and includes exclusive access, meet and greets, photos on the field, and this year we'll even be hosting a live Finding Drum Corps show and guests will have the opportunity to take part. You can find out more about the tour over on groupexperience.com or on the show notes for this very episode on globalbandroom.com. Before the break, we heard about River City Rhythm's Distant Harmonies project. This was just one example of the activity doing what it does best, getting creative. One of the questions that we grappled with when all of our programming was canceled, that's the drum corps, but also all the things that the Blue Coats organization does that aren't the drum corps, you know, in-person learning events and, you know, all sorts of stuff, audition experience camps, um, was how can we continue to provide and serve our mission as an organization, as a nonprofit organization, uh, without all these in-person programming that we normally have. This is Mike Scott, Chief Executive Officer of the Blue Coats. Um, and that also means how can we continue to highlight and elevate the incredible team that we have that, um, you know, is kind of facing the same thing. So Blue Coats in the Cloud, like you mentioned, was sort of our first pass at that. It was a way for us to continue to provide the Blue Coats experience that we promised to our drum corps kids throughout the summer. Um, but Blue Coats School of the Arts is the next step. Uh, it's an online school that's built by Blue Coats that takes the incredible educational resources, artistic leadership, pedagogical knowledge that we have as an institution, and it puts it online so that anyone with an internet connection can access it. Um, it was a huge project. It took us many, many months to build. We thought maybe we could have it out there by June, but it was several months later that we were actually able to get it launched. Um, and it's been a huge labor of love. And uh, we're really excited about it. And we actually just had our first live event uh, this past weekend uh, at the time of us taping this, um, which was great. We had you know more than 50 students attend a percussion institute where uh, we had some incredible percussion educators online and uh, you know, we do breakout rooms based on ability level and instrument. And the goal is to try to make these really substantive learning events and learning opportunities, even though it's online. Um, another way we're doing that is through on-demand learning. You know, you can register for a course and take it at your own pace. It's all pre-recorded, And we're even working on one-on-one -on -one, uh, private lessons. Early in the year, one of the things that had become clear is that, you know, th this was going to be a, a pretty serious event. This is Ben Schroeder. Ben is the director of Varsity Performing Arts, Training, Education and Events. On DCI Finals Night in 2020, a special virtual performance, Together as One, was broadcast as part of DCI's March On Telethon. As anyone who has organised any virtual event will tell you, these projects take months of planning, and the Together as One project was no ordinary virtual performance. I want to say I was on a phone call specifically uh, in February of 2020 discussing COVID and the pandemic in general. 
and some of the, the, the fear that had been going on. And so, you know, late February, uh, I'm on a phone call with, uh, some incredible people, uh, you know, that are, that are in the industry and, uh, really kind of have their, their finger on the pulse of what's going on. So I'm, I'm talking with, with David Starnes and Robert W. Smith and, uh, a gentleman named Tim Hill. And we were having a, a discussion about being concerned, not only about the, the health aspect of things, but it was starting to kind of become clear to us that, uh, and, and what had emerged on the phone call was that not only was this a, a health concern, but it was going to end up being a financial one. And that it tends to be that music education and performing arts, uh, really, it doesn't seem to get the respect or the, the support that it needs in general when you're talking about uh, education, uh, because it, it, a lot of what's driven in the United States is, you know, STEM uh, and, you know, music education tends to kind of take a backseat in a lot of ways, unfortunately. And I know that's probably not what everybody wants to hear, but uh, so the conversation became what, what ends up happening if this, if this does become an issue, what's going to end up happening. And we, we started, we, we moved very quickly to, you know, making a connection through performance and relevancy through your performance. And what are the things that people are going to need if this becomes really terrible? And so, you know, it, it's, it's middle of middle to late February. I'd have to go back and consult my calendar because my memory, I live in a time warp now, but uh, you know, that was the, that was the time frame where, you know, th this might end up being a tsunami that wipes out a number of, of groups, not only from a, okay, we can't perform health wise this year, but the lasting effect of something like this on an economy, when you've got businesses shutting down that affects tax dollars and tax dollars affects education and performance. And the, the ripple effect through that is that arts and music education programs, we, you can see it coming if you start connecting the dots that way. And it was terrifying. So we, we thought about what, what could we do to help stabilize something like that, create some kind of a brass ring to hold on to. And, you know, I, it was one of those things where I'm on the phone with these people that care so deeply about music education and performing arts. And we just started brainstorming, okay, well, what are some of the most expensive parts of running a program? I asked Ben about working with DCI on this project. One of the things that was really interesting about putting together the team for Together as One is that everybody jumped right in immediately and said, you know, what can I do? I think this is worthy of 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 time and effort and energy and and there wasn't a concern or consideration of how how are people going to be compensated or how are we going to how are we gonna, what's the return on this or any any of that this was literally just let's create something that is going to help stabilize the activity and support the activity in a way that 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 helps provide that relevance and so when we approached uh, drum corner national because uh, we had started with that phone call for people, we 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 immediately reached out to to people that we thought would be interested. And as we talked with uh, the good folks at Drum Corner National, you know, uh, John Denovi, Dan Atchison, uh, the the board members, uh, they were all very interested in participating and supporting what that looked like. And 
a, a lot of the creative team already came from that drum core universe. And we, we, we all saw this as this opportunity to create something where when you look at drum core in general, you know, the, the way drum core is viewed, uh, is that you could, you could really say that drum core is the pinnacle of the art form of marching band. You know, it tends to really be about thematic, stylistic, um, you know, excellence, and that that art form tends to be the focus. And uh, drum corps really has a lot of influence in terms of how the rest of the marching arts and activities are viewed. I think uh, across the world, and so we wanted to really harness uh, a lot of that. Uh, that influence and artistic capability. And you just have these incredible creative, uh, you know, people in music education and performing arts that are involved in it. And, you know, that's, it's such an incredible thing to be able to collaborate and be creative with. And um, it, it really is humbling to watch not only that creative process, but the way that, that everybody gave of themselves to this project. And so uh, as we dove into it, we, we really made sure uh, that, you know, Drum, Drum Corner National and all of the other nonprofit partners, including the National Federation of High Schools, uh, United Sound, College Band Directors, National Association of Athletic Bands, they all had a voice as organizations to make sure that uh, the program was going to meet the needs of their membership uh, for the moment and for what we were trying to accomplish and to make sure that these performances and the actual work that went into it uh, helped highlight the relevancy and credibility and uh, importance, uh, you know, for the connection for the, the performers and their communities and the audience. Many of these online projects were open to people from around the world, and not just for brass and percussion players. Cores recognised the real human need to perform music, and they gave their members and fans the opportunity to do just that. So we wanted to open it up to everyone to just build a worldwide community of musicians and to connect people from all walks of life. And we decided not to charge anything. Um, the project was completely self-funded through donations. Um, we thought that was a really powerful endeavor for us. It got a lot of notice from not only the DCI community, but to, to the band community at large, because it was we were the one of the one of the first groups, like you said, to uh, create this virtual performance, and we got a lot of interest from all around the world. For us, it, you know, it wasn't about making money. It wasn't about it was no longer about recruiting for our summer season. It was just about making music with other people and trying to have some sense of normalcy for all of the lost performances in the spring and summer. Um, after we realized there was a lot of popularity and, and interest in doing this type of work, we decided to um, commission and get some other uh, musical ensembles involved. So Michael McIntosh, who is no stranger to the drum corps activity, uh, he's, he was our music director for the 2020 season, and uh, he had written a drumline cadence called Electric a few years ago, and so we decided to use that for a battery percussion version of Distant Harmonies. And then one of my classmates from my time studying abroad in Ireland, Ronan Scollard, 
who is an Irish composer, um, I commissioned him to write us a choral piece because um, we just felt like those were two ensembles, two areas, two, uh, two sections that maybe weren't featured quite as much in the first project. So we commissioned him. He wrote a lovely uh, piece called Days to Come using text of a poet, Thomas More. After only a few short months, the community and staff of CORS were finding solutions to the difficult question of how to engage with members online. And not only were they finding temporary solutions, they were developing new strategies that will have a long-term impact on how we teach long into the future. When we did Blue Coats in the Cloud, you know, that was very much a whole bunch of people in one uh, video conference, you know, and I think you do learn in that environment just how easy it is to become disengaged and, you know, Zoom fatigue is certainly a real thing, you know, just staring at your screen and well, we have been thinking about, you know, well, how can we make these more meaningful educational interactions, but also more effective, you know, educational opportunities for the student? Um, so on the one hand, you know, when we host live events, we're, we're using an amazing technology platform that allows you to sort of attend and move through the event. So, you know, it might start with a keynote presentation that, you know, you show up to the keynote, but when that's over, you can choose from the next room, you know, the next room or the next session you want to go to, similar to attending a camp or a conference. So we tried this out, you know, for the first time with the Percussion Institute with an immense amount of success. You know, we had an incredible keynote speaker, Ralph Hardiman, who's in just about every percussion hall of fame you can find in the in the world. Um, and he was incredibly engaging. And when we were done, we said, okay, we're gonna take a break. And then you're gonna choose the next room you want to go to. So you can pick your instructor or your ability level or the instrument you wanted to learn more about. And you could go to that next room after a break. Um, and it really helps make it, you know, seem less, uh, you know, just less blah, less like you're just in one room. It also means that you go from sort of a more general learning environment where it's everybody all together with one presenter and you end up uh, in a small environment with just a few students where the instructor can say, you know, hey, Joe, I saw you, you know, overturning your left wrist, you know, make sure you, you know, or, you know, underturning your left wrist, make sure you're using more wrist or, hey, Bob, make sure you have more control there. Um, you know, Sally, it seems like maybe your, your heights are a little too high here. Control, you know, your stick height. Um, and so you actually do have that sort of one-on-one um, -on -one reciprocity that you're used to in a learning environment. And the other, the other way that we're thinking about this is outside of the live events, um, the same goes for on-demand learning. You know, one of the difficulties of Zoom is that it's sort of happening um, outside of your control. You know, it's like your computer is just going and it's happening and you can't, uh, you can't get up and go to the bathroom. You can't stop and really process something. You can't walk up to the presenter afterwards and ask some questions in private. So the on-demand learning does allow you to sort of go at your own pace and rewatch things and skip around. Oh, I already know about that. I'm going to skip to the next lesson, or I need to watch that lesson about five more times, or even I need to watch that slower or faster. Um, all of those things are possible with the on-demand learning that we are creating uh, at School of the Arts. So, you know, those are two different approaches. And then, of course, the third approach is, you know, it's a time-honored uh, and time-tested method of learning, and that's private instruction. And we're trying to figure out uh, right now, instead of just the classic, I'm going to say I need a private instructor, and someone says, hey, here's a Skype link. We want to make it a little bit more seamless where you, you know, you can choose the time that you're available. We'll pair you with an instructor of your instrument at a time that they're available. We'll securely handle payment. 
and we'll securely send both of you a video conferencing link. Neither of you have to worry about it. You just both show up to the lesson. It removes a lot of that friction and makes it seem way more like attending a real private lesson. Um, and so that's, you know, we have the technology built for that and we're just finalizing some of the, um, uh, some of the scheduling and, and uh, pricing structure and things like that for, for the one-on-one. -on -one. But we're taking this three-prong approach so that we can make sure that every type of student and every type of learning um, you know, consideration is, is covered as best we can uh, and really aiming to make School of the Arts a long-term investment in, in our educational programming. Well, I, you know, these performances, they're not live and they're recorded and they're put online. So I think they're just going to be eternally archived on the internet, um, which is kind of a cool thought. And they were made for the internet. So um, hopefully they, they're, they will be continued to be watched and viewed for years to come and appreciated for years to come. I, I lived in Houston for five years and I, I've seen two hurricanes hit uh, Galveston in the city. And, you know, one of them hit Galveston dead on and it was a hard reset for the city. Um, I think they grew and developed from that. I, I am confident, but I also do hope that every drum corps um, can really strengthen what they are and their identity. And um, a silver lining to all of this is that I have become very, very close to a lot of, or, of, uh, of these organizations and we've collaborated more than ever before. And uh, it's, it's nice to see that little change in how we, uh, we communicate with each other. Well, 2021, we're coming out uh, with a lot of safety restrictions and so forth. And what we're going to do is use uh, all of the great advice that we have to put together a celebration tour. I'll tell you what, these performers and their instructors, teachers, designers are just as interested in achieving excellence uh, now as they would be with a full judging panel. Uh, imagine some of these designers and the performers not having that uh, criteria uh, to focus on, but just focus on creating a performance that entertains the audience, that is uh, something that is uh, for performers to reach out and get better at. Uh, and that combination, it, it's going to be something that we've never seen before. And when we hear those first notes played, uh, and have those first steps marched and so forth, the joy that that's gonna bring the entire marching arts community is gonna be very special. Now, keep in mind, marching arts has been going all the way through the pandemic with band competitions and indoor and those types of things. Uh, what we do differently is we're in a grand stage and uh, the, uh, uh, the creativity that can, one can put towards that stage uh, it can be, you know, exceptional. So it's going to be interesting to see how this pent-up demand for all of us as longtime fans, as relatively new designers, as new performers, all comes together and uh, really presents that joy through their performance. Uh, I really do expect that uh, the time period that everyone's had to reflect especially on design and uh, preparing the performers for success and so forth, is going to have a huge impact on elevating the marching arts even further, if that can even be imagined. 
Season 2 of Finding Drunk Or will be premiering on June 23rd, where we'll look forward to the 2021 Celebration Tour, learn about the Front Ensemble, focus on the history of the Phantom Regiment, and find out more about DCI's in-step program and its new expanded mission to support diversity, equity and inclusivity in the activity. My thanks to all of the guests featured on this episode. Dan Acheson, Bojan Hoover, Natalie Steele, Mike Scott and Ben Schroeder. You can find out more about the show over on our website, globalbandroom.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Bandroom. And if you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving a review or sharing it with your friends. Until next time, march on.